You're listening to Soul Friend Radio. I'm your host, Gaia Woods. How long should I wait to call her? What's the best way to end a casual relationship? How can I tell the person I'm dating that I'm sexually inexperienced? What to do if you're a sexually submissive type married to another sexually inexperienced? Should I break up? Yeah, is it okay to flirt with your How do I tell my neighbors that they're having loud How many hours or days of no response is considered ghosting? going to read a little bit of a bio for you, just so that our listeners get a sense of who you are. So Dr. Theodore Burns, PhD, is a professor and practitioner of psychology in the Los Angeles area. His research and publication record include numerous writings related to racism in the LGBT community, intersecting identities for LGBTQI people of color, and resilience and coalition building across oppressed individuals and communities. Dr. Burns' scholarly interests include social justice, training in psychology, and feminist psychological practice. What a bio. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So also, I should tell my guests that you were one of my professors when I was in graduate school. Yeah. Nice to see you outside of school. I know. It's awesome to come and hang out. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, you bet. I definitely, I remember making it pretty clear that you were one of my favorite professors. Oh. I as many classes with you as possible. <laughs> I remember one day revealing that I had gotten a puppy and that I had named it Theo. <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of like looked at me. <laughs> I, I totally remember that. That's funny. That's <laughs> awesome. Was my dog's name in my mind for years before I had met you. That's so amazing. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> That's also, awesome. Also, he really goes by Teddy. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Also a lovely name. I remember getting a look from you. That's amazing. I totally forgot about that. That's so funny. Awesome. Um, The Teddy's going strong. Awesome. He turned three the other day. Uh, Oh, That's cool. Yeah, so so welcome. Thanks again for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for coming. So you, the classes that you teach, um, or that that I kind of took with you, um, Mm -hmm. I took human sexuality with you, so I've got some kind of questions and things to go into about kind of issues related to that. Um, I was also doing a little bit of research just about your career, and I found this uh, website 
best counseling degrees named you 30 most influential counseling psychologists alive today. Wow, that's fancy. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Hooray. That's amazing. I know. Um, I also found another impressive thing, which I'm sure you're aware of because you were there, but you spoke at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology in D.C. I guess this was in 2017 mm-hmm. on the topic of dismantling privilege and oppression in LGBT communities. Yeah. Sounds like an amazing Yeah, we had an amazing time with that. Um, So the Chicago School, as well as the American Psychological Association, is pretty invested in understanding um, different types of oppression within already marginalized communities. And so um, they partnered with a division of APA to um, hold a workshop for all APA members related to kind of understanding racism as well as privilege and oppression within LGBT communities. So um, the Chicago School actually hosted it, and we were able to um, do a day long with about 30 attendees. Um, It was great. We had a really – it was a pretty transformative experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all the other speakers, too, sounded just amazing. Totally. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that we could talk about, but I, <laughs> but I think that one thing you wrote this amazing article that I actually that you assigned for your human sexuality mm-hmm. class that I took with you called um, "Sex Positivity in Counseling Psychology: An Introduction to the Major Contribution," and mm-hmm. it was contributing authors were you. Um, I might mispronounce these names, but An- Annalise A. Singh, mm-hmm. is that correct? Yeah, and Ryan G. Witherspoon, right. I want to read the abstract of it, and then I would just love to kind of hear a little bit of your thoughts about yeah. that. And I know, I mean, so the other thing that we were talking about a little bit before the show is that the general audience of this podcast and radio show, it, you know, is probably maybe a handful of therapists, but most likely people outside of the counseling community. But mm-hmm. I just think that so many of the issues that you brought up in this paper um, or in this article are so relevant just mm-hmm. to cultural perceptions of sexuality and yeah. so many things. So. I want to read this abstract. So this abstract is a lot of <laughs> reading to you about you a lot this morning, but we've got I love a whole it. hour. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, so this abstract um, for this paper says, in this introduction article to the major contribution on sex positivity in counseling psychology for the, psych- for the counseling psychologist, TCP, the authors define sex positivity and its intersections with counseling psychology's framework of social justice wellness, and resilience. The authors describe related foundational aspects of sex positivity that counseling psychologists may may integrate into their research and training, theory and practice, respectively. Mm -hmm. Following this introduction article, the authors of four subsequent manuscripts focus on the history of sex positivity in counseling and psychology, training, and supervision, such an important thing, related to sex positivity in counseling psychology programs, research on sex positivity within counseling psychology, and clinical practice implications of sex positivity in counseling psychology. Hmm. So, so, yeah, yeah. I know. So, so I think the first thing that I think is true about that series of papers was that um, it was a complete collective effort. So yeah. um, there were multiple authors on all five of the, the papers that were in that contribution. Yeah. And I think where that came from was this idea that 
for the longest time, the field of mental health had kind of looked at some aspects of sexuality as really important, but really kind of deprioritized other ones. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my colleagues and I, in various kind of informal settings, were noting, gosh, um, you know, therapists and other mental health workers really don't talk that much about sex. And we may talk about identity. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're really great at talking about, let's say, like, um, LGBT identity specifically, but we're not actually talking about like the other amazing, awesome, delicious, wonderful things that come with sex. Right. Yeah. And so, um, and also just how, um, those things kind of intersect with everybody's, um, self, right. That sex, um, impacts people's physical space and psychological space and social space and all that stuff. Um, and so a bunch of us just started thinking about, gosh, you know, this is a contribution that would be helpful for people as they are not only reading research and thinking about ways to create knowledge about sex, but also how practitioners can form things in the field. Um, and so my colleague, uh, Annalise and I started kind of just putting, um, different types of thoughts together related to that. And then we thought, this is bigger than a paper. This is actually a yeah. series of papers yeah. um, that actually look at different types of ways that sex intersects with um, mental health practice and yeah. teaching mental health therapists. And then we started asking people, hey, like, would you be interested in, you know, collaborating on this project? And yeah. um, three years after we started that process, it was in print. So <laughs> Only three years. <laughs> Only three. Only three. <laughs> well, yeah. and also, I... I have so much respect for your um, reference page. <laughs> I, like, I was rereading the paper a little bit, and I don't know the exact number, but I think it was, it was somewhere like 10 or so pages of reference yeah, totally. at the end. So yeah. it shows me just, I mean, absolutely how much work went into yeah. researching and, you know, all the things that you speak to in the, in the papers. So. Well, and, you know, I think one of the things that's interesting about um, sexuality in terms of not just research, but just in terms of how we know things is that there is a lot out there. I think a lot of people say, oh, there's not research out there. I think there is. It's just that mm-hmm. it's not kind of the way that we think about traditional domains of knowledge. Yeah. Um, and I mean, just like, for example, I think if you walked into a bookstore and you went up to the sex shelf, there would be tons of books that were there yeah. that people wouldn't necessarily even know existed. Sure. Right. Yeah. And so, um, and also just thinking about the way that information about sex gets communicated in our popular culture. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's through, you know, articles or books, but the other times mm-hmm. it's through podcasts like this one yeah. or, um, or even just kind of things like zines or things of that nature. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, and that was another question that I had for you was just, you know, in your training, whether it was, you know, as a trainee <coughs> or, um, you know, you were probably an intern, not a, mm-hmm. uh, an associate like we are called right. now. <laughs> yeah. But just in terms of gaps in your, not gaps, but areas where you really wish that there could be improvement, I'm just curious to hear about kind of if there was anything specifically that you felt like was really lacking in your kind of educational training. Yeah. So I um, I took a little bit of a different path through the training process. I didn't go yeah. to a clinical psych master's program. I went to a community psych standalone master's. Okay. Um, and I think one of the things that was true about that was that we focused a lot more on kind of collective wellness. And so... Yeah. 
Um, I think there was some inherent kind of ability to look at sex because it's sex is such a relational topic right. and that you were learning so much about relational information through a community based lens right. um, that sex felt really um, just kind of um, humane. Right. Mm. Um, I also think that, um, and I think this is true for anyone who's thinking about going back to school. Yeah. It's all about picking the people that you want to study with. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, um, for me, I was really selective in where I wanted to go in part because I think it was really helpful for me to figure out people that I wanted to work with that could actually mentor me in those areas and were kind of open to my research and practice interests in the areas of sex and sexuality. Yeah. Um, so I was lucky enough to feel like even though at the time I was studying, there wasn't a ton of research, I felt really supported in, you know, going to a professor and being like, I want to write my final paper on orgasm. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then being like, okay. Right. Yeah. Versus feeling like I couldn't do that for fear of judgment or shame or things like that. Sure. Um, and then with my doctorate, I, again, I, I did the same thing. I really wanted to find somebody that could do some of that work and, um, my doctoral advisor herself had a master's in human sexuality education. Oh, amazing. So yeah. I was like, check. <laughs> right? Right yeah, totally. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, so, so great. Yeah. yeah. So, but I do think, you know, outside of the direct mentorship, there wasn't a lot of information related to sex. And if it was, yeah. um, you know, I, I trained as a therapist in the nineties and the two thousand, the early two thousands. And, um, there was just nothing um, that was there. And yeah. if it was, it was like super duper negative focus. So it was mm-hmm. very kind of like focused on dysfunction and looking mm-hmm. at ways that sex was, you know, beha- sexual behavior was problematic. Yeah. Um, and really talked about like, well, if you do it too much, it's a problem, but if you don't do it enough, it's a problem. And yeah. the, it was kind of like a, um, like a double edged sword. Like <laughs> you, there yeah. was no, there was no good way to yeah. be healthy about it. Yeah. Um, but I also feel like I learned in an environment that felt really open to critiquing those models. So. Yeah, definitely. It's funny you said that you went to your teacher about wanting to write a paper on orgasms because I believe – because it's one of my papers that I really think fondly upon. But for your final – Yeah, totally. <laughs> a paper on female orgasms. Totally. Because <laughs> it was an under – it's yeah. kind of an under – represented aspect sure of yeah. sexual dysfunction is in terms of the female component yep, totally. of whether it's painful sex or female orgasm right. disorder or other types of things like that. So yeah. I'm going to write about that. It's so awesome, <laughs> it's like, right? It was basically probably on the list of things to write. Yeah, about, totally. Like, oh, definitely <laughs> no, for sure. No, and I think that there's something really awesome about, that's one of the reasons I love teaching is because um, yeah. I feel really fortunate to have a series of supportive mentors and I think that way you can kind of pay it forward, right? So, yeah, totally. Definitely. Well, and then another thing that I wanted to talk about, because I think this is another crossover in terms of just the work that you do and in terms Mm. of kind of a broader audience, was one of the exercises that we did in your class was the word association Mm. exercise for female and male genitalia. And I have thought about that exercise so many times Mm. (laughs) since that class. And basically, do you mind if we kind of tell? No, not at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, and you can probably explain it better, but my recollection was that it was done in groups of maybe three or something, Mm -hmm. and um, basically we did a big piece of paper for male genitalia and a big piece of paper for female genitalia, and each person in the group would write one word for female genitalia, and so it would be like three 
three mm -hmm. different words, and then one word for male genitalia, and then it just went around as many times in the whole class as we could mm -hmm. until the paper was full. Or until people just kind of ran. <laughs> Maybe ran. it was a time-limited thing, yeah. or who, you mm -hmm. know, who knows. But basically, my recollection was just that the there was so much sort of cultural uh, meaning and uh, discrimin <laughs> discriminatory sort of language used, you know, predominantly towards the female genitalia, yeah. and the male genitalia was more kind of these words of power and or just kind of overtaking yeah. women and it was just such an eye-opener just about how we view men and women just culturally. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know if you want to comment yeah, on Yeah, I mean, oh my gosh, I could talk for hours about both of those things. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I think, so the first thing that I think is always important when you're talking about sex with people is making sure that they recognize and are aware of the language that either they use yeah. or that they bring in the room with them but purposely don't use for fear of shame and stigma. Right. Um, and so I think activities where you can kind of get people to kind of own some of those kind of collective or individual biases are really important. Yeah. Um, and although I'm a therapist, I mean, I think that's applicable to everyone from like after school program people to teachers yeah. to parents, right? Um, yeah. Just um, any type of activity that allows people um, the ability to kind of talk about um, sex in a variety of ways. Yeah. But I think the other thing that often comes up, um, and I think I've, I've said this before um, when you were with us, was that mm -hmm. um, the themes that come up around the lists, right? So there, yeah. as you were saying, there's kind of lists for male genitalia, female genitalia, different mm -hmm. types of like autoeroticism, mm -hmm. um, and then also different types of sexual intercourse. Right. Um, and the themes that often come up are violence. Right. Um, and how the words that we use, especially for certain types of intercourse, are super violent. Yeah. Um, how women are often seen, especially genitalia for people who are assigned female at birth. Yeah. Um, how folks are often seen as passive or right. um, are seen as um, kind of like receptacles and like a really kind of gross way yeah i mean yeah. this show people understand that the language on this show is is right. wide so i'm about to say <laughs> use some language but i remember just so many things having to do with like cum dumpster mm -hmm. and just all sorts of kind of derogatory language like yep. that that totally. was predominantly <laughs> associated with female genitalia yeah. and i mean i think everyone was trying their best in the class to you know, be neutral and really come up with language that was, you know, vagina, you know, pussy, whatever sure. types of other things. But, you know, after a while you run out of those kind of more descriptive, yeah. neutral yep. um, words. And so that was kind of the point was to really pull at what kind of language have we heard to describe female genitalia or male genitalia? And yeah. Like what is the kind of underlying association and meaning behind those words? Yeah. And that, we don't pop out of the womb with those meanings that they right. are indeed kind of in some way um, we learn them in, in some way they're kind of bound to us in cultural ways. Yeah. 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 And also, yeah, I mean, I think you bring up a good point too of there was more to that. I mean, I think that part of the exercise I remember the most is the descriptive words about genitalia, but also mm -hmm. I think you're right. And there was also a component of sexual, um, of like intercourse. Mm-hmm. 
was it, I forget exactly, but was there one for heterosexual intercourse and then for same-sex intercourse? So, yeah, there was, we actually used terms like, you know, like penetration, vaginal penetration, Mm -hmm. um, and also anal uh, penetration. And so Mm -hmm. there was something really interesting about the idea of there being um, words related to, let's say, vaginal intercourse. Because the assumption Mm -hmm. that many people make when you say vaginal intercourse is that Mm -hmm. what's being intercourse with is a penis. When in reality, we know that um, for individuals who have sex at where you know none of the people having sex have penises there can still be vaginal intercourse right right? (laughs) yeah and then um i think for anal intercourse it's often really kind of typically associated with gay male behavior Mm -hmm. um and here's what we know about anal intercourse is so many people say oh gosh anal intercourse is for gay men well yeah anal intercourse itself doesn't have a sexual orientation right right? you don't (laughs) have to be gay to have um anal intercourse right and so um i think those are the kinds of um, things that emerge when doing an activity like that. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's funny cause I think I've shared this with you before that I've done that activity with tons of people. So I obviously do it with graduate level trainees and therapists, but I also yeah. do it with high school kids. I've done it in Ooh. like facilitating it in like What's older. Like? Ugh, yeah, it's so older. fun. Yeah. I've done it. Um, I did it in an assisted living center. Yeah. Um, because I think again, like generational impact has such, um, has such a broad range on wh- how we think sexually. Yeah. Um, and the themes are always the same. I mean, yeah. they're not... Was it that much different for no. than graduate school level? No, and I think what's really interesting is that, um, especially with folks who are in high school, I think there's something really interesting about how like the school's culture really plays a part in what types of language people use or even um, is language talked about, mm-hmm. right? So... Um, are there kind of school cultures where, let's say, certain derogatory words are used? And do adults say anything? Yeah, one would hope. Right. <laughs> but yeah. 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 And if adults maybe, let's say, teachers or administration or parents or anyone that's kind of part of the school's community, yeah. if folks don't feel equipped or feel nervous or shamed about even mentioning sex, because right. lots of people are like, don't talk about that with my kid. Right. Right? And yeah. so it's... Um, that can be hard too, I think. Yeah. Which is, I think also where your community, like training in kind of community and, um, I'm trying to think of all the terms of like the, the meta. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I mean, I remember taking your community psychology Mm -hmm. class and just, and a little bit, um, dreading it, (laughs) not because it was your class, (laughs) but just because I was kind of thinking, well, how does this apply to me as a therapist? Mm -hmm. I want to be a therapist in private practice community psychology i'm not a social worker this right. isn't going to apply to me and mm-hmm. just learning absolutely so much about the impacts of just everything on everything you know not yeah. to go into it too deeply but just like you said just what's the impact of a teacher who has a certain attitude about sex and doesn't say something right. or just all of the kind of moving components of bureaucracy and just all the things yeah so, we yeah. we i think as individuals take so much of our environment and we internalize so much of our environment yeah. right and yeah. so there's something really um, interesting about that and that sometimes when we want to heal people doing individual healing is one way to do it, but there's so many other ways and levels to do that work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then another kind of question that I had was, and this might be a big, (laughs) a big ask, but I guess I'm, I'm curious. So for, for another one of your, I keep talking about this, your human sexuality class, Mm. but another interesting part of that class for me was one of the papers that I had always thought that every every human sexuality professor had you write a sexual autobiography mm. about all of your sexual experiences 
and didn't know exactly how I felt about that assignment just sure. generally. And then when I took your class, you had a totally different perspective on it. And I was so happy because I liked your perspective so much better <laughs> than the idea of just like going yeah. through every time that right. like, I have had sexual penetration throughout my life and trying to figure out what that means, you know. But your yeah. lens was basically, and I took a little part of your syllabus that basically kind of outlines a little bit of it, but basically emphasized the importance of self-reflection with regards to your own values. For example, my paper explored themes of how I was kind of educated about sex, mm -hmm. early associations with sex, any relevant experiences that I felt might contribute to my views about sex, um, a discussion of sexual orientation, um, and to your, and to, you know, since I am a therapist now, to my potential kind of blind spots as a clinician. And I guess my question is, I'm curious how, on a general public type of transition, how, mm -hmm. you know, someone may be listening to this show might be able to take components of mm -hmm. an assignment like that, where you're just kind of examining your own views, your own beliefs, your sure. own kind of experiences with sex yeah. ed, or just beliefs about sex, um, just in terms of fostering healthier relationships in their own lives, whether it's, you know, sexual relationships or just kind of yeah. other relationships. Sure. Yeah. So um, I think there's multiple components to that question, so I kind of want to take each of them separately. I think the first thing that is true is, is that many people at some point in their life may have um, kind of a lack of sexual chemistry with one or more partners. Mm -hmm. And that might be like, hey, I'm super stressed. That yeah. might be like, hey, I like certain things that my partner does or partners don't like. Right. Um, it could also just be like, um, I'm feeling disconnected and I don't know why. Yeah. Um, and that could be because there's something going on between me and the, pers the person or people I'm having sex with. Or it could mm -hmm. just be there's something going on with me, you know, as I grow and change. Yeah. Um, and so I think one of the things that often happens is there's this kind of automatic shutdown that some people experience around, oh, gosh, I yeah. must be something wrong with me. Right. Um, and. Um, that fluctuation in understanding ourselves as sexual being does not mean that there's anything wrong with you. Right. It means that you're a normal, loving, wonderful human being and yeah. you're just going through some stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think that taking time to kind of reflect on what are the messages that I've received about sex in, in yeah. the past and maybe there's a connection between what's happening for me right now mm -hmm. and what happened in the past, right? That right. sometimes we don't even realize the impact that, let's say, um, I was caught masturbating by, right. let's say, a parent, right, who yeah. was kind of scolded and shamed me. Right. Um, or maybe, you know, my older sibling walked in on me when I was, like, you know, um, engaged in like kissing or touching with a, a friend yeah, and that stigma really, really resonates or maybe I hold it with me. Yeah. And so thinking about ways that, um, there can be lots of activities that you can do to kind of look at what, whether there is that impact. And so, yeah. um, I love the idea of journaling, like, you yeah. know, having a journal and just kind of thinking about like, what are the messages that I received mm -hmm. about sex or what, what was I taught to think about myself as a sexual being or yeah. like, was I told like, Hey, yes, like, you know, be careful and wear condoms and like explore. Or was I told like, no, never do this or yeah. don't do this until you're in, you know, like a, like legally sanctioned marriage. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, and so there can be a, um, ways that that happens too. And then I think the other thing that's true other than journaling is also, I'm a big fan of just like finding safe people and yeah. starting conversations. And that can be, Ooh, I like that idea. Yeah, yeah, that can be in 
like your own therapy, but that can also yeah. be just like with friends at a coffee shop or, you know, like hanging out at yeah. your house or apartment or whatever. And just yeah. like being able to really have um, strong conversations. Yeah. I love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. As you were talking, I, I've gotten a number of questions into the show kind of over the course of the time that I've been doing mm. the show about, yeah, kind of people who grew up maybe with the understanding that sex was bad and that, you know, you weren't even supposed to masturbate mm. and kind of as adults trying to unpack those messages has been maybe difficult for certain people and kind of like what's the best way to overcome yeah. those things. But sure. I think, like you said, just really trying to be aware of past beliefs that maybe have been kind of put onto you that you haven't kind of examined and mm-hmm. really trying to figure out how you stand in relationship to your own beliefs about sex and sexuality and yeah journaling or just self exploration and just really asking yourself those questions I think is a great practice for anyone yeah and I think sometimes we really devalue that kind of exploration because mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like it's going to go anywhere or it's not going to yeah. produce something <laughs> tangible yeah and I think a lot of people kind of think of that as kind of hokey or gosh why would I spend time like thinking (laughs) Um, and I I just really want to encourage individuals that you know will self-reflection automatically improve your sex life I mean no maybe not but it will absolutely help you connect more to yourself yeah and that will undoubtedly impact your sex life because if I am more connected to self I can be more present yeah you know when I'm um when I'm having sex with other people totally Yeah. yeah I love that. that. Thinking is a waste of time. <laughs> well, should we move on to some questions? I totally. have a couple of questions yeah, yeah, yeah. from listeners, not a ten, but a couple. This question comes from an anonymous male, and they say, in the context of cultural cliches that might need updating, what courting rituals in the animal kingdom can we look to to emulate in 2018 to establish healthy human relationships, hmm. both romantic and platonic? So I'm not sure exactly where the animal kingdom fits into that other than maybe just kind of animalistic desires or something like that. But yeah. It was an interesting question. I know. Yeah. Hmm. That's an, that is an interesting courting, question. What courting rituals in the animal kingdom can we look to to emulate in 2018 to establish healthy human relationships, both romantic and platonic? Well, so the first thing I am always reflective of when anyone mentions animals is that humans yeah. are also animals, right? This is true. <laughs> yeah. um, and I yeah. love, um, I love always reminding ourselves that um, yeah. we are animals, even We're though we like to. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. right. Um, I think that th- there's a couple things, right? Which yeah. is one of the things that we know is that. Um, if animals, um, if animals were to speak to us explicitly, specifically some strains of not only mammals but also like insects and amphibians, yeah, um, there is a widely um, different understanding of polyamory. Oh, right? which is actually another question of ours. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so we know from lots of different strains of. Um, animals, um, although they may not necessarily use that, but um, mm-hmm. I mean, monogamy is a sanctioned course, right? And so, thinking about the idea of understanding communication, mm-hmm. um, understanding negotiation, right? Yeah. And clearly, I mean, if we if we were to kind of go to the zoo right now and watch certain types of <laughs> yeah. of animals with one another, they may not necessarily communicate or negotiate in ways that we may kind of evaluate as appropriate, but they negotiate nonetheless. Yeah. And and so thinking about the ways that we can learn yeah. um, about negotiation, I think that's really important. That's true. That's a great yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I have anything to add to that, really. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I um I can't say enough about um the book. There's so many, but two that oh, I love yeah. um is The Ethical Slut, um which yeah. is an amazing book on kind of uh exploring polyamory by um Easton and Hardy. Um super easy. You can get it yeah. on Amazon or at your favorite right. local bookstore. Yeah. Um and it's actually written for anyone who's interested in thinking about um, the possibility or horizon of non-monogamous relationships. Yeah. Um, well, that's yeah. a great book recommendation, mm-hmm. but also a great segue because we have a question about basically that exact topic mm. is just kind of, and this is something that I, you know, often get questions into the show about as well, just about people who are potentially interested in exploring ethical non-monogamy or mm. people who, you know, may have had maybe a relationship of, like a polyamorous relationship, mm-hmm. but maybe not have the greatest experience, but of just people who are looking to try and basically kind of understand some of the building blocks of what they might need to bring in terms of their needs and wants and desires into a relationship and where it might fit into a polyamorous relationship or not. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? So kind of sure. like what would be a, an ideal candidate for a polyamorous relationship in terms of people looking to kind of venture into that mm-hmm. world. So I think educating yourself is always a great step sure. in reading about subjects. Right. But do you have any other thoughts? So I um, I really believe that one of the cornerstones of any healthy relationship is good communication. Right. And I think that one of the things that individuals who I think have been in polyamorous relationships for long periods of time teach um, individuals who are not in poly relationships is that mm-hmm. um, there's such strong communicative values. Yeah. Um, I work with lots of people both in practice and as an educator who may be exploring polyamory either as a student in a sexuality course or yeah. um, in therapy. And one of the things that often comes up is, is wow, like if my partner and I did what I'm learning about within like a polyamorous realm, yeah. our relationship would be a lot would healthier. Be so right? yeah. <laughs> and so I think there's something really awesome about thinking about how communicative structures really work. Um, totally. Yeah, and I yeah. I have to say I think um, that those people um, who are like even just kind of contemplating the idea of maybe not even being in a poly relationship themselves, but just thinking about like who they are relative to polyamory in general, right? Yeah. So like some people say, oh, I would never you know do polyamory in my own relationship, but I would be super yeah. open to it if like you know, my sibling told me that they were involved in a poly relationship (laughs) or like I have a child that came home and told me that they were interested. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's something really great about thinking about how that person really values communication, openness, fluidity. Um, and so those would be things that I would be looking for is, is, can someone be honest? Yeah. (laughs) Can someone, does someone have the capacity to communicate really well? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's such an important piece. And I also, you know, I think of kind of people who maybe have kind of more specific needs that they really need to express to sexual partners Mm -hmm. and how just kind of healthy of a dynamic that creates with partners, you know. Yeah, sure. Yeah, like to your point about if we could all kind of be in relationships where as a base component, regardless of if it was a monogamous relationship or a polyamorous relationship or anything in between, 
yeah, if we can kind of incorporate elements of really right. clear communication, how much better all of our relationships would be. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you know what's interesting is is that even if individuals may not identify as polyamory, people negotiate aspects of their relationship all the time, right? Yeah. So I often work with, let's say, couples, for example, who might yeah. come in and maybe one member of the couple is like, we were, you know, at the shopping mall and you know, my, the love of my life was like staring at this other person with like lots of desire. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so we talk about like, is that like a deal breaker? Is that like yeah. a, if you do it, can you let me know what's happening? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and maybe that happens like as, um, like a fantasy, maybe there, you know, are, mm-hmm. I think the literature tells us that there's quite a, a number of people who may actually be thinking about somebody else other than the people right. that they're having sex with. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, yeah. um, even though polyamory may not necessarily take that form, we begin mm-hmm. to think about like, okay, well, many times we're thinking outside the confines of our relationship sure. or many times we're having desires that are healthy and normal outside of that relationship. Right. How are we negotiating those? Yeah. Right. Well, and it's, did you read the Esther Perel Mating in mm-hmm. Captivity book? Yeah. I love that book. There's also an audiobook version that she that she reads, huh. so you get to hear it in her voice, oh, cool. which is really great and great for people who spend a lot of time in traffic in yeah. Los Angeles or wherever <laughs> you're listening from. Nice. But it, it reminds me of just that idea that she brings up in the book of incorporating this idea of the other into the relationship totally. in terms of kind of right. whether it's fantasy or whether it's another person right. or just some kind of conception of... Uh, not not a break in intimacy, but some something that kind of sets a boundary that can sure. kind of be explored together as a couple. Absolutely. There is kind of an enmeshment or like yeah. an over, over-identification of like you being this way, kind of like splitting it up so yeah. there is a sense of kind of exploration that can happen totally. again in a long-term relationship, basically, right. which is kind of yep. what she's talking about, about like how do you have sex with someone for 30 years and still be interested in that person. Right. And it's like, well, you got to kind of... Mix it up a little bit. Yeah. Incorporate fantasy or different elements. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And communicate about it. Yeah. Openly. Openly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Okay. So we have, let's see. Uh, uh, uh. Looking at our questions. Do, do, do. So this one is kind of a question from me. (laughs) So, yeah. So I guess we did the, the polyamorous question and then... The anonymous male question, and this one is basically just, let's say someone is newly dating someone of the mm. same sex after identifying as heterosexual for their entire life. Mm. If the person feels ashamed of their same-sex attraction, what are some ways this person could examine and overcome their own internalized homophobia? Mm. So that was just a question for me in terms of, or from me in terms of, yeah, people who are kind of yeah. exploring and still are not totally yeah. kind of feeling or self-accepting. Sure. So I think the first thing to do is to recognize that coming out is a journey and it's not a destination. Yeah. Right? Um, And so I think there's a big... There's a big push, I think, especially in like the last like 20 years, but I would say even more so now, um, that when people feel certain desires, that they need to label them, right? Right. And I'm yeah. a big fan of the idea that sometimes we um, we don't need to necessarily ice the cake before we bake it. That we can, <laughs> if we have desires towards somebody uh, before we automatically need to label it immediately, maybe we need to figure out like what are those desires, mm-hmm. what's connected to those desires. So are there fantasies? Is it emotional? Is it physical? Is it some combo of all of them? Yeah. Um, And then maybe the icing is like, oh, how do I want to label this? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, And so I think the other thing is, is giving uh, permission to oneself to take the time that they need to figure out who they are and what they love or who they love. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, what's really interesting is, is um, there, especially I think in the politicization right now that's happening in the United States, but also globally, frankly, yeah. that uh, because there is such, I think, um, polar divide in some areas about how people experience same-sex attraction and identities related to same-sex attraction. Yeah. Um, I think individuals got really, um, really kind of um, charged about how they think about who they are and what they yeah. call that. Right. Um, and so allowing oneself personally, um, at least initially, to maybe really think about about that piece of it. And I think there, yeah. there are some people who depoliticize it, right? Where they say, gosh, you know, I, uh, maybe what I need is just a lot of reflection before I, I use a label. Yeah. And I think there are other people for whom depolitization is not even possible, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe they come out in a culture or in a community or within an, like an advocacy group of friends, right? Where yeah. depolitization is, is not possible and that's okay too. But, yeah. um, so I think the first thing is, is to kind of, um, know that that's okay. It's a journey. I think the yeah. second thing is to kind of figure out, um, to give oneself permission. And then I think the third is to figure out where that, um, internalized homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, panphobia, yeah. like where does that come from? Yeah. Right. Um, and what, what is it connected to? Right. Right. So I'm a big fan of, um, some of, you know, a June Jordan's work as well as Audre Lorde and both write mm-hmm. prolifically about oppression being connected to other kinds of oppression. Right. Yeah. And so is, you know, homo, bi, trans, pan, is phobia related to those identities? Is it connected to my racial identity? Is it connected to my ability status? Yeah. Um, is it connected to my gender? Cause it often is unfortunately for right. lots of people. And so, uh, what is that? Right. Yeah. Um, some of the research that is out there, uh, including some work that I've done myself, um, has really connected that the way that people kind of know their identities is sometimes not even connected to their desire to other people, but how people may understand them as gendered beings. Right. So mm-hmm. folks might say like, well, I don't want to come out as gay because, you know, um, as a male, if I'm gay, then that must mean that I'm, you know, insert like gender stereotype. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is not true for everybody. Right. Like, so I think it's always, you know, I always say like who I'm attracted to has nothing to do with how I express my gender. Right. Yeah. Right? I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And what do you think about, um, cause I feel like you are a wealth of knowledge on this topic. So I'm going to ask you some questions totally. that, that you can just share. Your, I mean, yeah. I'm giving you permission to share your opinion. Um, but also just in terms of the research, I'm curious about mm. this idea of, um, individuals who identify as bisexual mm-hmm. and maybe feeling like that's a, particularly um oppressed community in terms of that they're not identifying as gay or lesbian and so maybe aren't really feeling accepted in another in in that group as gay or lesbian or or straight right but that it's somewhere kind of in between and i don't know if there's any research to kind of support that idea but yeah so it's interesting um unfortunately there is not a lot of research related to bisexuality in part because of the bisexual erasure phenomenon which is really this idea that um although society has grown in acceptance related to monosexuality for same-sex attraction so like folks who are gay or lesbian and only are attracted to people of their same sexual like um understanding of self yeah um bisexuality although there has been some growth has not grown as much Mm -hmm. and what we find then is is that when we talk about the l the g the b and the t is that the b Mm -hmm. 
um, and the T too, but um, right now we're talking about the B, um, <laughs> is pretty is pretty low in terms of yeah. exposure, in terms yeah. of understanding. Um, yeah. And the research is actually really interesting in terms of how it explains some of that. So some people mm-hmm. would hypothesize that actually, although bisexuality is less kind of prevalent in the literature, that there are lots and lots more bisexual people out there, mm-hmm. um, even more so actually than um, gay, lesbian, or heterosexual people. Hmm. And that when you think about kind of the, the continuum um, between like, homosexual on one end Mm -hmm. and 100% heterosexual on the other, that maybe really it's not a straight line, but it's actually a U, right? So that like, right, so that like the tops of both of the kind of pillars of that U shape are monosexual, but then bisexual is everything that's in them, like in the kind of hump of the U, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um... As, as late as like 2017, some of Tanya Israel's work looks at some of that. So hmm. um, if you're interested in that, check What's that out. What's her name again? Tanya Israel? It's Israel, I-S-R-A-E-L. And um, okay. she has written a couple of articles related to some of that information. Yeah. Um, and then I think the other thing that's also true, which... Um, is that there is such biphobia that happens not only from the general experience, but also within gay and lesbian communities. Mm -hmm. And so recognizing that for some people, um, they may not necessarily kind of think about bisexuality in the same way or maybe even entertain that identity in the way that they might entertain a gay or lesbian identity because maybe they go to, let's say, a gay, lesbian um, or queer space and may not necessarily be seen right, right that way. My, that, that was my um, incentive for asking the question is yeah. this idea that if someone is basically almost in the same way that, you know, if you are kind of white passing, then you might be othered in terms mm-hmm. of feeling an identification with being white or feeling an identification totally. with being whatever that component of your race is, Absolutely. is othered to yeah. whiteness. Sure. So it's just that idea of like, so yep. if you're kind of othered in this space and you're kind of othered in this space, then where does that leave you? Yeah, and you know, I think the other thing that is true as well is is that um, bisexuality, I think, originally has really spoken about being attracted to men and women. Um, and when I think that definition had was early conceptualized, you know, as uh, although bisexual individuals have been around forever, yeah. I think kind of theoretically we started thinking about that in the 20th century. Um, what's interesting as well about some of that is that. Um, with kind of our understanding about the fluidity of gender, yeah. it begins to really complicate, right, the yeah. attraction spectrum right. in a way that's, like, amazing and diverse and awesome. Yeah. And so um, I think what that does is for many individuals who may identify as bisexual is to think about, hmm, you know what, I wonder um, as kind of my knowledge about the, the world around me or maybe even my own gender, mm-hmm. like, how does that complicate, like, my attraction? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I know, so much. So much to talk about. Well, I'm kind of wrapping up with my kind of questions and or talking points. I mean, there's always more that that I could just ask on my end, but I'm curious if there's anything that you want to bring up that you maybe are working on or thinking about. Yeah, sure. So, um... Oh my gosh, there's so many things. Oh yeah. <laughs> so no, 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 no. It's 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 totally fine. So, um, you had kind of asked me earlier, like, what kinds of things are you working on? So, um... 
I'm working on a book, which I'm really excited about. Yay! I know. Tell about um, what the topics are. Sure. So um, it's a human sexuality textbook, um, and it's really, I think, written um, from the perspective of a sex-positive place. Yeah. Um, and I think part of it came from, like, my own experience of, yeah. like, um, looking at undergraduate human sexuality textbooks um, yeah. when I was in school and feeling like there was, like, that one chapter at the end that talked about, like, diversity, right? <laughs> and then there yeah. was, like, or maybe there was one chapter at the end that was, like, and there's this phenomenon of homosexuality, uh, right? Yeah. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm over that. Um, but no, actually, I'm, yeah, can I interrupt you just totally. to take your definition of sex positivity from your paper yeah. to tell people kind of what, totally. what that means to you yeah. and how you use that term? Absolutely. Uh, so from your paper, Sex Positivity and Counseling Psychology, an Introduction to the Major Contribution, um, that paper is from July 2017. Um, sex positivity is a term used to describe individuals and communities who emphasize openness, non-judgmental attitudes, freedom, and liberation about sexuality and sexual expression. And that is from Donahue, 2015. Yay! Yay! But I just wanted to give yeah. people an insight into kind of what that term means to you when yeah. you use it. So. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so for that. textbook! I know. <laughs> so I'm really so excited. So I'm, um, I'm working on this book and... Um, it has been such an amazing – so one, I think, is it, what is true is is that um, there is a lot of work out there, and so it's a neat way to kind of, like, look at lots of different things that are happening. Yeah. But two, it's also a great way to say, gosh, you know what, what um, some textbooks have actually put at the back, I want to make the center focus. Ooh, I love it. And so yeah. really thinking about, hey, what are the ways that we look at um, sex as healthy and, yeah. and sex as, um, as really kind of pleasurable? And then – I'm also thinking very specifically about how people problematize like careers related to sex. So things like mm. sex work, for example. Yeah. Um, and um, I've done some work in the area of sex work in terms of research. And yeah. so really excited to kind of like look at sex work less as like some sort of like problematic career and more yeah. as like a labor rights issue. Right. Um, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm really thrilled. Um, I'm working with Cambridge University Press and um, they've been phenomenal. And I'm stoked. That's so cool. Yeah. Oh my god, that's wonderful. Yeah. What's the trajectory? I have no idea how long it takes to write a textbook. I imagine a long time. So yeah. So the the goal is to have most of the book done um, by November of next year. Yeah. And then um, hopefully it'll be out in 2020. That's so soon. Yeah, I know. Do you feel like and. If I were in your position, I would just answer yes. But do you feel like this is a, the type of book that would be interesting for people who, like, th there would be material contained in this book that kind of your every everyday person who maybe is a sexual being if yeah. they choose to do so totally. would benefit from kind of exploring? Or is it, like, pretty much geared towards yeah. the No, it's actually, it's going to be a, a more of a kind of undergraduate level book. So anyone who's yeah. interested in just kind of learning um um, introductory information related to sexuality as a topic. Yeah. So, yeah. So cool. I know. I'm so excited. <gasps> yeah. um, I just, um, I can't say enough about, like, 
being given an opportunity to do the work that you love to do yeah um and have someone be like hey we believe in like what you think right yeah. and so yeah. here's a platform <laughs> so great. i oh, know i'm so, happy I'm for so you. excited congratulations yeah that opportunity. not that you didn't work for it for no really no no, no. All stuff, well but, you know i think yeah. i think a lot of people work for a lot of things um i feel really lucky i just have like been able yeah. to kind of negotiate certain environments and you know clearly like someone uh, like with a lot of privilege and so my hope is to kind of like use some of that to really like advocate you know in a sexual like space for people who are often not spoken about within that and feeling really good about that so yeah yeah well and I want to also just say that that was something that I feel like I learned in all of your classes was just this a different lens to look at how you might be able to advocate for a client and Mm -hmm. I I guess that came mostly from maybe learning about community psychology in different Mm -hmm. ways to support you know people that you work with as a therapist but also just the way that that, yeah, that we can affect change totally. you know, in in our lives just kind of as humans, but yeah. also as therapists as well. So, totally. Yeah. I always think about you when I, like, make that extra call to for, like, on behalf <laughs> of a client. Because <laughs> you also, you told a story once in one of the classes about just spending a really long time advocating for a client to their mm-hmm. health I remember that story, yeah. Yeah, it, I don't remember the exact yeah. details, but I just remember you really went after like advocating for that person. Yeah. That so inspirational. No. So great. And, and just that you really, you know, that you care. Yeah. <laughs> take the time. And that's so rare. You know? Well, and you know, I so. think especially, um, and I'm sure lots of listeners can relate to the idea of sometimes when we're navigating any type of like healthcare process or yeah. practice, the amount of time and paperwork. And yeah. sometimes it's so helpful to have someone on the inside be like, Hey, call this person, right. fill out this form, go to this website. Yeah. Or like, it's okay that you've had to call three people. That's totally normal. You're going to have right. to call four. Don't take no for an answer. Right. Just right. Doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think because many of us that are in the field are used to it, yeah. we kind of get immune. Whereas I think people who are new to navigating that, right. um, they need the support and encouragement. And if there's ways yeah. that we can kind of open the door from the inside and be like, come on in through the back door, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Totally. And just also the importance of when one person is helping you, how big of a change that can make in someone's yes. life, you know? Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. Well, I don't know if there's anything that you want to kind of, I mean, plug maybe isn't the right word. Yeah, kind of sure. Like refer people to. No, or yeah. You kind of totally. Well, um, I'm always super excited to talk to people about sex, which is why I was so happy to have you here. Yay! Um, and like, and to be um, asked to be here. So it was, um, I'm super excited to be able to like talk a little bit about this. But yeah. um, if people are interested in maybe doing some of that exploration that we talked about earlier mm-hmm. in like a therapeutic um, context, yeah. Um, People can look me up through the Los Angeles Gender website. Okay. Um, I have a practice through there um, where I what see individuals. Sure, it's lagendercenter.org. Okay. Um, and you can also find me on Psychology Today as okay. well. So on either of those sites, uh, people can find me. Okay. Um, I do some individual work um, as well as couple, family, and group stuff. Nice. So folks are totally able to find me in that realm. And then. Um, yeah, and then if uh, folks are interested in learning more um, about um, kind of publications or things of that nature, yeah. um, check out um, the Cambridge University website, hopefully oh, okay. soon. 
there'll be a little coming soon ad for some stuff that's coming out. So, yeah. And then I have a couple of other publications that are available through Amazon as well. Um, So one is on um, kind of education within teaching LGBT um, material, um, which is a 2015 publication, which um, folks can get through Amazon. And then I have another text on clinical supervision as well. Oh, um, which is awesome. Good. Yeah. yeah. Um, which came out last year and that's available through Cognella, um, but is also available through Amazon as well. So. Okay. And if someone wants that, did they just search um, Theodore Burns? Theodore Burns, B-U-R-N-E-S. You can okay. do that. Um, you can Google or you can use the Amazon search bar and okay. I pop up. Yay. Yeah. Well, it's so. been such a pleasure to have Thank you. Thank you so much and for having me. Nice yeah, I know. It's so awesome to reconnect. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Cool. Well, thank Thanks you so much. Again. All right. Talk All to right. you soon. Thanks. Sex questions? Love questions? Send me your submissions either as a text or voicemail to soulfriendradio at gmail.com. Please include your age and any information that you would like me to know about you. You can find more episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts. The show is recorded live at K-Chung Radio. Love you, K-Chung. Special thanks to my station manager, James Nelson. Thanks to 1,000 Birds. Our theme music is by BoomBit. Thanks for listening to Soul Friend Radio.